This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Uh, yours truly has made an editorial decision, which I think we will all profit from, by which we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Douglas Perednia on today's program and do this for three consecutive weeks. He was an excellent guest on last week's program talking about his terrific book, Overhauling America's Healthcare Machine. This is the best work I've seen on uh, the problems we're having with healthcare in America as it's currently delivered. And I think it would, uh, we would do well to continue our discussion today as well as next week. So that's what we'll do. Let's begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 12th of May. May 12th is kind of a red-letter day for radio. On this date in 1908, Nathan Stubblefield obtained a patent for wireless voice transmission. He had demonstrated the instrument in 1902 in Fairmont Park in Philadelphia. Although, to my understanding, uh, Stubblefield's device was sort of lost to history. He showed in public demonstrations that he could transmit voices uh, over the wireless, but I don't believe that uh, people followed up on his research and his actual machinery was lost. I'm not sure about that, but uh, <laughs> we'll find an expert that can talk about that in some future point. Also on May 12, 1925, a radio station in Philadelphia broadcast the first all-star program featuring film actors and actresses. Being this was an era of silent films, this was, uh, I think, a treat for fans to be able to hear the voices of their favorite stars. Among those heard were Lillian Gish and Marion Davies. Marion Davies is best known as the girlfriend of William Randolph Hearst. And Hearst reportedly would have married her, except his wife wouldn't give him a divorce. So partly out of frustration, I guess he built the Hearst Castle. On May 12th in 1967, the English poet John Macefield died. He was the poet laureate since 1930 and is perhaps most famous for his lines, I must go down to the sea again, to the lonely sea in the sky, and all I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by. By the way, for more excellent poetry, you should tune in to Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour, heard on KDVS every Wednesday at this hour of 5 to 6 p.m. Since we love to close these with a little bit of a musical bumper, we would note that it was on May 12th in 1964 that Barbara Streisand won a Grammy for Best Female Vocalist for her album, The Barbara Streisand Album. People People who need people are the luckiest people in the world. By the way, Barbara Streisand, fantastic voice, unbelievable voice, legendary voice, but apparently not such a nice person. I have this in the authority of my friend Brian, whom I've known since we were three. I therefore know him to be trustworthy. Our quote of the day, and we've used it before, but it's so damn good we're going to use it again, comes from uh, our book, Today in History, which is a History Channel publication uh, from which we get these references. Uh, I think it's incorrectly attributed to Yogi Berra in this one. In fact, I'm certain it's misattributed to Yogi Berra. 
But I guess if you're going to quote somebody, you can always say it was Mark Twain, George Bernard Shaw, Yogi Berra, or Oscar Wilde, and people generally aren't going to question you. But at any rate, someone, not Yogi Berra, once said, In theory, there is no difference between theory and practice. In practice, there is. And our quip of the day, I don't know, it's not exactly a quip. It's sort of a quip and a quote and sort of an inane comment. But State Senator Leland Yee, last week, uh, according to City Insider from the San Francisco Chronicle by Heather Knight, uh, got himself in some shark-infested waters last week after calling a proposed ban on the sale of shark fins in California an attack on Asian culture. Senator Yee then posed for photographs with shark fin soup. <laughs> Noted Heather Knight, Yee certainly didn't call for the state ban on foie gras, which was set to go in effect next year, an attack on French culture, or posed for pictures with goose liver, In fact, as a member of the state assembly, when the bill came up for a vote in 2004, he voted for it. Apparently, spokesman Adam Keegwin for Senator Yee said his position on the shark fin ban has been misconstrued. The senator is against the illegal practice known as finning, wherein the shark's fin is cut off and the rest of the shark is dumped back in the sea to die. But he believes that if a shark is not endangered, is captured in a legal way, and the whole body is used, eating the fin is fine. Said Adam Kegwin, the problem he has with the bill as written currently is it only goes after the one part of the shark that individuals in the Asian community use. Restaurants should be allowed to use the fin if the rest of the shark is being used. Well, in theory, we agree with Senator Leland Yee, but in practice, we do not. Because in theory, a, a, a Chinese restaurant could have a whole shark in there and then cut the fins off and make soup out of it, but that's not how it works. If you're going to cook shark, you buy shark meat. If you're going to buy, if you're going to make shark fin soup, you buy shark fins. And that's, that's really how it goes down. And uh, Senator Yee is wrong to take this position. That is our position on Radio Parallax, and we would hasten to add that the opinions heard on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California, some of whom we feel certain agree with the ban on shark finning. And when in doubt, we say, as we said in this program some years ago, do not consume shark fin soup. In fact, we feel if a restaurant serves it on the menu, you should tell them that you will boycott them until they take it off the menu. Our joke of the day comes from the Dave Barry calendar, again. Because it is such a fountain of mirth that we would be foolish to turn our backs upon it. Said Dave in the entry for Tuesday, May 10th, and we would like to thank Elise for contributing this for all of our benefits, dear listener. Said Dave, go to one of the websites devoted to birthday planning where moms report in detail the deranged lengths to which they've gone to stage birthday parties for small children. They sound like this. Our theme for Megan's third birthday was the enchanted fairy forest. To create a forest in the family room, I made, I made full-sized trees out of fiberglass, which I painted brown and festooned with 17,000 leaves I cut by hand from green felt, accented with live squirrels <laughs> I got using a galvanized steel trap baited with Peter Pan creamy peanut butter. For the forest floor, I brought in four tons of mulch with a lawn boy yard tractor. 
For the sky, I used the actual sky, which was visible because I removed the ceiling and roof with a chainsaw, which is when my husband Ed left me. But the overall effect was well worth it. Added Dave Barry, you think I'm exaggerating, but that's only because you haven't browsed birthdaypartyideas.com. And our stat of the day is that American undergraduates are apparently flocking to petroleum engineering, where the average starting salary for those with bachelor's degrees has doubled since 1997 to $86,000. The percentage of foreign students in undergraduate petroleum engineering programs is lower than it's been for 15 years. And I bought a Harper's Magazine uh, yesterday, and That is so full of stats we should use, but I think I'll save them for next week's program. The Harper's Index is always a curious read. Let's instead move on to the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for getting rid of stereotypes in the wake of a report by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which compiles statistics on its 34 member countries, found that Mexicans worked the longest hours of any national workforce in the developed world. Mexicans put in 10 hours a day of combined paid and unpaid work. The Japanese, South Koreans, and Chinese work the most paid hours per day, but they put in far fewer hours of unpaid labor, such as cooking and cleaning. Mexican commentators said they hoped the findings would end stereotypes of Mexicans as shiftless. Ask Guadalupe Loeza, a columnist for Reforma, how did we acquire that picture of the lazy bones snoozing under the cactus? I must say I have to echo that question myself. Having seen how hard Mexicans work in this country... I'm baffled at the notion anybody could think of them as shiftless. I worked alongside Mexicans and Mexican-Americans most of my life, and I would say they are very hard workers indeed. I didn't need an OECD study to tell me that, but I'm glad they did one. On the other hand, it was a bad week last week for common sense. In the wake of the fact that a six-year-old Wisconsin boy has been accused of first-degree sexual assault for playing doctor with a five-year-old girl. Reportedly, the boy is too young to face criminal charges, but prosecutors, but prosecutors have presented the allegations to a judge and asked for state intervention. Said District Attorney Lisa Rineker, who's apparently done such a fantastic job of cleaning up crime in Wisconsin, she can go on to cases like this. This isn't about punishing him. It's about making sure he gets the help he needs. And rather than get angry at such unbelievable stupidity by legal authorities in this country, I think I'll instead move in the other direction and cite the old joke about the uh, boy and the girl age five playing doctor in the backyard. And they pulled on their pants and the boy says, Look, I have one of these. Little girl says, well, I don't have one of those, but I've got one of these. And with one of these, I can get all of those that I want. 
Now, I have to admit, that's pretty unlikely dialogue for kindergartners, and I'll probably be accused of ch child porn now. At least, I mean, if I was in Wisconsin, I'd probably be under indictment. But thank goodness I live in California. Well, actually, maybe not thank goodness. We'll have more to say about uh, legal authorities in this state before we're done. But at any rate, according to The Week magazine, it was an ugly week last week for <laughs> British navigation. In the link of this story about three Englishmen who tried to sail across the English Channel on a seven-foot dinghy. They apparently ran into trouble and greeted their rescuers 11 hours later by saying, Bonjour, believing they had reached France. <laughs> In fact, they were just two miles from where they started. Now, landsmen, all, whoever you may be, if you want to rise to the top of the tree, if your soul isn't fettered to an office stool, be careful to be guided by this golden rule. Be careful to be guided by this golden rule. Stick close to your desks and never go to sea, and you all may be rulers of the Queen's Navy. Stick close to your desks and never go to sea, and you all may be rulers of the Queen's Navy. Here's another item from Dateline, Florida. Governor Rick Scott's expected to sign a bill that will make the state the first in the nation to prohibit doctors from asking patients if they own guns. The bill is aimed particularly at pediatricians who routinely ask new parents if they have guns at the home and if they're stored safely. Pediatricians say it's about preventing accidental injuries. Gun rights advocates say the doctors have a political agenda. Notes the article by Greg Allen, as parents know, pediatricians ask a lot of questions. Part of what doctors call anticipatory guidance, teaching parents how to safeguard against accidental injuries. Pediatricians ask about bike helmets, seat belts, and other concerns. A doctor St. Peter is quoted as saying, if you have a pool, let's talk about pool safety so we don't have accidental drownings. If you have firearms, let's talk about gun safety so that they're stored properly. You know, the gun needs to be locked up, the ammunition stored separately from the gun, etc., so that children don't have access to them. Notes the article, for decades, the American Academy of Pediatrics has encouraged its members to ask questions about guns and how they're stored as part of well-child visits. But Marion Hammer, an NRA lobbyist in Tallahassee, Florida, says, that's not a pediatrician's job. And NRA lobbyists helped write a bill that largely bans health professionals from asking about guns. Hammer says she and other NRA members consider the questions an intrusion on their Second Amendment rights. Mr. McMillan? Man, that, that, isn't, that isn't just cuckoo. That is just, uh, that is a bit psychotic from the, uh, the, the health standpoint. The NRA is about to ramrod a gag order, <laughs> a gag order, about what pediatricians may inquire about for the benefit of their patient's safety. Of course, in the end, you have to ask about all these things that the legislatures of our various states and national governments churn out, advising this rule and that rule and this regulation and that regulation and this law and that law. How do you enforce these things? Would this be a good use of police resources, <laughs> tracking down a doctor because a parent reported him because that doctor asked me about whether I had a gun. Maybe we can send in undercover cops disguised as parents 
to see if the doctor will ask provocative and leading questions about their guns. Speaking of the epic failures of our legal system, which is a favorite topic on this program, how about the fact that Philip and Nancy Garrido are due to be sentenced next month? As we talked about on this show, they've gone back and forth in our court system about whether, whether they're sane, whether they can stand trial, whether we should dig out a DSM-4 and extract a couple more diagnoses out of them that will help us. Seems pretty clear that uh, both of these individuals were aware of the fact that kidnapping an 11-year-old girl and holding her as a prisoner for 18 years, while uh, raping her and forcing her to father a couple of children from Mr. Garrido, was wrong. An article in the Sacramento Bee noted that on June 2nd, the Garridos will be put in prison where they will probably spend the rest of their life. Notes one article in the paper, Nancy Garrido will be sentenced to 36 years to life and will be eligible for parole after 31 years. There's a sliver of a chance she will someday walk free, said the article. A woman in her 80s who spent much of her life aiding her husband's unspeakable desires. But even her own attorney concedes there's little chance of that. Said Stephen Tapson, her lawyer, Unfortunately, it's probably going to be in a casket. Unfortunately. As if it would be such a shame that we can't get Nancy Garrido back out of prison to do what she can to better society, based on her track record so far. Notes the same article. At times, the court session appeared almost too much for Nancy Garrido. She sobbed quietly after pleading guilty to kidnapping and aiding Dugart's rape by her husband. Eventually, a bailiff handed her a tissue, which she bent down to use with her wrists shackled to her waist. Can we add an appropriate, aww. Said the lawyer, obviously you don't want to plead your client guilty to a life sentence, but that's the best I could get, and it's what she was willing to do. All right, on a much happier note, the Brown administration appears to be backing away from a plan to build a giant tunnel around our Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta in California. Article by Matt Weiser in the B notes that the Bay Delta Conservation Plan was launched by the Schwarzenegger administration as a method to obtain Endangered Species Act approval for its new Delta Waterworks. This article does not mean that sanity is about to reign in this issue of stealing more water from the Delta than it can actually, than actually passes through it, which was the original plan. That's a step in the right direction, which we'll talk about more on next week's program. But we've got some health care to talk about. It's an important subject for all of us. Let's take a short break and do that. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.